Hello out there and welcome to Wine, Women and Writing. This is Pamela Fagan Hutchins and this is the show where I talk with other authors about their fantastic, complex, authentic female characters and hopefully with any luck, some of where those characters are arose from that author's life, background, experiences, what have you. I'm glad to have you. And I want you to know that for upcoming and past shows, you can go out to PamelaFaganHutchins.com and get those books and kind of book club along with us. Be ready when my guests are on. I also, I have two fingers here raised, Girl Scout honor. Um, Have to let you guys know, this is an Authors on the Air Global Radio Network production. All hail our producer, Pam Stack, who is a goddess. So today I am pretty excited because we have an author on that is not only one of my favorites, but, and you guys who listen to the show know this is important, also one of my mother's and husband's favorites authors. So she gets the three-star um, seal of approval from the Fagan and Hutchins households. Uh, Sandra Brown, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Pamela. I appreciate your invitation to be on. Well, you know, for me, this is this is a, a great experience. I've been reading your books for, well, I hope to say as long as you've been writing them and have routinely told people, and this is, again, one of those Girl Scouts honors things, that if you're just going to read one author who doesn't ever miss, it's going to be Sandra Brown. So I'm delighted. Oh, thank to have you. you. <laughs> well, thank you. That's, that's such a, a nice compliment, and I appreciate it very much. Well, this new book is no exception. You guys, I got to read an advanced copy, which is one of the reasons I think my life is really cool. Um, But I'd love to hear about Blind Tiger from you, Sandra, and have you tell us a little bit about the book. Well, you know, I started it in uh, 2020, in the early months of, of COVID, because I was stranded uh, (laughs) away from my family uh, at our second home and I couldn't get back and uh, no one could get to me that, you know, the airlines had had closed down and weren't supposed to travel and and you couldn't get there in one day. So it would have involved a hotel stay. It was a, you know, it was a mess. So I thought, well, uh, I've got to come up with an idea for a new book. I've got all the time in the world to write. And what do I want to write about? I started looking around and what was going on in our world at that time was just so tumultuous and, and so darn depressing. I thought I need some escape. And that's what I thought, what was happening a hundred years ago? How, you know, <laughs> how, how bad were things then? So I, I, just Googled 1920, and the first thing that popped up was Prohibition, and it went into effect January 16th of 1920, and I thought, you know, that's not a topic you you hear a lot about or read a lot about, and so the more I dug into it, the more I thought, this is fantastic. <laughs> I just got so carried away with the research and um, decided, yeah, I I think I'll write a historical for a change. So that's where Blind Tiger originated. And it's um, the story of a uh, former cowboy who has just been discharged from the army after World War I. And all he wants to do is get back 
to the panhandle of Texas where he worked on a ranch all his life. That's all he wants to get back to. And he's waylaid um, in a Texas town. And uh, there is a young woman. Um, and they wind up becoming on opposite sides of a moonshine war. <laughs> so that's kind of a thumbnail sketch. But there's a lot more to the story than that. But that kind of gives readers an idea of what it's about. Well, there's so much that has me smiling with what you said, not not for your predicament, being stuck away from your family, um, <laughs> but for how fortuitous that you Google 1920 to just to get back and try to get to a simpler time. But it's kind of crazy how each era seems to have their problems, because certainly 1920 was is in many ways as tumultuous as 2020. And that, that uh, that's intuitive of you, Pamela, because that's really the pitch that that I gave my editor. Because the more I, I thought about it, and the more I've researched it, uh, 1920, the, the soldiers were returning home from Europe after this very unpopular foreign war. They were suffering from what was called shell shock or battle fatigue, which we know today is post-traumatic stress. So we had those problems in common. There was a Me Too movement that resulted in suffrage, which was a good thing, but it wasn't popular with everybody. So they had, you know, a very uh, life-changing and history-changing women's movement they had a global pandemic of Spanish flu. So the more research I did, the more I was scratching my head saying, why does this all sound so familiar? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, we're having the same societal shifts that they were having then. And um, so that's really the way I pitched it to my editor, you know, who might've uh, otherwise been a little reluctant for me as a contemporary author to suddenly start writing a historical, but um, I sold him on the idea and then the, the rest of the publishing house really embraced it uh, for which I owe them my, my thanks because everybody got on board with this book. It was great. Well, it makes me wonder if your next book, you can just pop ahead a hundred years and do a futuristic <laughs> version of these things. <laughs> I don't think I'm nearly that creative. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, it, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you've dealt uh, in the past or you've gone into historical fiction before. It's just mm -hmm. been a while, right? Yeah, the last historical book I wrote was kind of an aberrant book, too. It was called Rainwater. And um, I sneaked that book in between my books for which I had contract. Um, I typically do three book contract at a time. But this story just kept pressing on me and pressing on me. And um, so when I had, you know, like a gap of, you know, four to six weeks when I wasn't working on one of my contract books, which was one a year, um, I'd get that manuscript out and I'd work on it. And I really just loved this story and loved these people. And um, it was based on um, the original idea came from an event that actually took place in my father's life when he was six years old. 
And he had written an editorial about it because he was an editorial writer. And uh, when I read it, I said, Daddy, I never knew this happened. He said, yeah, it was kind of a scary thing. And uh, to have impressed upon him at six years old, um, you know, what the event uh, that took place on his father's dairy farm, um, I thought, you know, that would that would make good material for a novel. So <clears throat> and I had also done um, I had also done three Western uh, historicals in the early days of my career back in the dark ages uh, <laughs> in the early <laughs> stages of my career I've written three historicals and always loved them I really enjoy or enjoy reading them and and I enjoyed writing them and I, I really had a fun time uh, writing Blind Tiger not only were the characters fascinating to me the bad guys as well as the good guys um, but the time period was was exciting and different. And from a creative standpoint, it was a good change of pace. You know, I, I yes. never want to get in a rut, no matter how velvet lined uh, <laughs> that, that rut may be. Um, never want to get too relaxed about what I do, because I think that uh, that's the worst thing an author can do is get complacent. And, um, and the readers start noticing that. So this was a challenge and, and it was, it was good for me, you know, just strictly speaking from a creative standpoint. Well, I was really, um, uh, diving into it and thinking that the research was very tight, you know, that you had obviously spent a lot of time making sure you got the details down to the smells and the tastes correct <laughs> as, as easily as I as, as much as I could as graphically as I could uh, the research did take a whole lot more time uh, than it does but on the other hand the benefit is that I might have had to learn you know how in the world do you start a Model T and I <laughs> thought the accelerator on a 1915 Model T would be on the floor, but it wasn't. It was on the steering wheel. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know that until I had to, to teach Laurel how to drive one, my heroine. Uh, and so it was things like that that took a great deal of research. On the other hand, have to admit how refreshing it was uh, to write a book where not everyone had a cell phone. There were no security cameras. Um, it was it was wonderful because I think these inventions of ours that make life uh, so so much easier have really hampered writing suspense novels um, because you can't disappear people <laughs> exactly <laughs> as as you once could, you know, because it's everyone's watching, everyone's got a camera uh, in their hand, and so it, it's. It, I found it so liberating not to have to worry about things like that. I uh, I I agree. I've just been recently writing something in the seventies, and just getting back to no cell phones, no pagers, no faxes creates yeah. the opportunity for suspense. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I wish that was how it was in real life. Now let's get to talking a little bit about your female characters and I'll leave Laurel aside for a second, just to say the most villainous villain to me was your 
your madam. Dirt. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. That woman was scary. So uh, hats off to creating a, a truly, um, truly evil and terrifying uh, female villain. Um, so Thank you. tell Thank me you. about creating the characters in, uh, in the book and whether or not these are characters that were inspired by historical events, real life, or just the fertile imagination of Sandra Brown. No, and I can't even uh, attribute them to the fertile imagination of Sandra Brown because <laughs> to me, uh, I, I never feel as though I create anyone. I always feel as though that character has been there in my head and they choose that moment to emerge because I honestly didn't know that uh, Gert was going to play such a pivotal role um, then before her first scene where she she meets uh, Wally Johnson at his still. And uh, what happens there, you know, shocked the heck out of me. And so it's it's it sounds, I know, schizophrenic and um, and maybe a little bit coy. Uh, and I don't mean it to at all, but it, it, in all honesty, um, these characters reveal themselves to me. Um, they they usually come full blown. The only ones that I have more trouble with are the lead characters because they they. Um, I do have a vague idea of what they're going to be. And then they kind of reveal themselves, put them in place, and then they kind of reveal themselves slowly. But uh, Gert was, I thought she was a great character, but I, I really don't feel as though I can take credit for her, nor for Corinne. And oh, up until yes. the point in time when, um, you know, she was referred to as the young prostitute, you know, who had gotten beat up or just simply the girl. Uh, and I didn't know that she was going to be a character until she came up behind Thatcher, the hero, and says, don't make me go back, take me with you. And I went, whoa, you know, she's <laughs> she's got some guts. And so then she, she, again, this character just revealed herself and, and I fell in love with her. Um, so it, 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 it's hard to explain how that, that happens, but I always feel like these characters are living a parallel life to mine and they just all of a sudden break through this very fragile barrier, uh, that is my, I guess, uh, subconscious and say, here I am right about me. <laughs> I love the idea of that, to think that they might actually exist in another parallel universe and you just became aware of them and and dutifully told their story as they revealed it to you I love yeah. that yeah <laughs> do you have any trouble like let's take Laurel who was a talk about richly complex character a woman facing so many hardships and problems and being forced to do things way past her comfort zone just to survive just lovely layers but do you ever have problems with, given that characters tend to reveal themselves to you, you're writing the story and suddenly you realize from a plot perspective that two characters have taken you in different places and one or the other is going to have to give a little on story. Um, and, and, and how do you deal with, um, with characters that, that aren't necessarily taking you where you need to go? Well, that's very interesting because 
when I pitched the idea to my editor and in my own head, because, you know, uh, if you read the most recent Sandra Brown books, they're typically a, a lot of them are written from the male point of view. I mean, it, it's the male story. It's that um, protagonist that, you know, has his demons and is wrestling with them and the the heroine is there always strong. Um, and so when I commenced writing, I thought this was going to be Thatcher's book. I uh, thought it was going to be his story. It occurred to me at about chapter three or four where Laurel says, no, you're going to teach me to drive today. <laughs> and she has, with that one sentence, seized control of the story. And I wrote several more chapters, and then you know what happens down the line. And there was the end of another chapter, I think it's chapter 16 or 18, maybe where she announces something else. And I'm thinking, I gotta, I gotta let people know, you know. So I called my editor and I said, what's become very evident to me is that this is Laurel's story. Um, that at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book, Thatcher, at the beginning, he already knows who he is. You know, he right. already has his his boots deeply grounded in the character that he is. Laurel changes. She's the one that makes the character arc. She right. starts out chapter one, one way, and she ends up, and the epilogue in a completely different way. So um, she really, she she is the pivotal character. And, and it, of course, certain areas of it, aspects of it belong strictly to Thatcher too, but she's the one that makes the, the character arc. And so what you said is it, it precisely the point that sometimes <laughs> they take over and lead me in directions. And one other point, and then I, I know we'll move on. <laughs> no, uh, you're great. Keep going. But, but, um, one thing about, about uh, Laurel is um, it, it, she, I wanted her to be strong and she, evidence is that, you know, in a lot of ways, she does what she has to do, as you said, to survive once she's been kicked in the teeth really hard, back to back tragedies. And so she she seizes control of her own destiny. And she says as much. I wanted her to be strong. And at the same time, have that softness about her, have a tender heartedness. Otherwise, I thought she, I feared that she would be a, a very disagreeable, unlikable character. So I let her manifest her, um, her tender heartedness, the tender side of her with the way that she related to her father-in-law, whom she didn't even know until the first pages of the book and the way she felt about her daughter the way she took in Corinne without any judgment of Corinne's former life um, with sympathy for her and even empathy for her. And then, of course, she she was reluctant in her responses to Thatcher, but who could resist? <laughs> exactly. You know, who could resist? I'm with you, Laurel. <laughs> if you had hormones at all, <laughs> you couldn't resist Thatcher. 
But I wanted, uh, it was a writing challenge to make her be firm, to make her be strong, um, in some ways very stubborn. But I love the line where he says, I like your sass. And maybe that's what I like the most. So um, I, I wanted her to be strong, but at the same time, I wanted her to be likable and I wanted her to have a softness that he would, he would see and, and ultimately tap into. And to me also, that, and I saw that softness toward the twins as well. I'm just, as you were saying, I was throwing that in her, the way she cared about the twins that were helping in her in her very, business. a uh, sisterly kind of way. Yes, yeah. very sisterly, very, and, and maternal even at some points. But yeah. um, the, the uh, I also felt like her softness identified her as a woman of that era as well. That there was, there, you know, that she was, a woman of the 1920s, even as she was beyond a woman of the 1920s. And mm-hmm. if she'd been too hard, she'd have ended up as Gert, who we love to hate. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I also did love that line about the sass. And it was one of the things that hormones aside, and definitely you have a way with giving us a male character who gets the hormones going. Um, <laughs> and you could, and it comes off the page with, with Thatcher. I was a little bit in love with him, but that he loved her sass and that he was a man of that era that loved the strength in this woman, mm-hmm. even as he was attracted to the softness as well. So right. there's, I'm just, I'm kind of hugging myself as I say this. <laughs> he, was, he wasn't intimidated by it and he, no. and nor was he threatened by it. You know, he totally accepted and that's what he liked about her. I, I think that's what, you know, from the moment he sees her wrestling with that bed sheet, you know, <laughs> He's thinking in his mind, he said she was putting up, you know, quite a fight. Um, and he says, you know, the sheet's winning. Um, <laughs> but but I, I think he liked that feistiness in her a lot. Me and, uh, and he allowed it, you know, he didn't he didn't try to to quell it at all. Exactly. Well, you know, I I also must say that I ended this thinking, is this the only foray we're going to see for a long time again from Sandra Brown into historical fiction? Or is there more that wants to come out of you in this in this whole um, new world you've created? They're moving to, you know, maybe possibly, you know, another book in this series. I'm I'm hopeful. Any thoughts about that? Thank you. Um, I'm not going to address it right now. Uh, I'm going to play my cards a little bit closer to my best, uh, but um, uh, like Thatcher would, you yes, know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but um, it, it's it's under discussion. It, it's I'm giving it a lot of thought and um, and just piddling around with some ideas, playing around with some ideas uh, because I think that that ground is, is so fertile. Uh, and, and the reaction that fans, um, have had to the book and, and Pamela, it's not an original question. (laughs) I hate to, I hate to to break that to you, I know, but, but, uh, others have asked. And, um, so I'm just saying it, it's in the, it's in the hopper of consideration. 
Yeah. Well, you know, that's how you want to lead people after they read a book, no matter what the answer ends up being is that, you know, we all are falling in love with Thatcher and Laurel and Gert and Corinne and the, and the whole gang. And thank you for giving us, giving us the whole gang. We really appreciate the great read. Well, you're quite welcome. I, I, I appreciate your comments um, tremendously. It was, a, it was a, a fun book to write. And I hoped that, always hard, always hard. It's the longest book I've ever written. It involved a lot of research, but it was a good change of pace. It was interesting to me. It was fun for me. I loved the characters, even the bad guys. You know, I love the bad guys because um, your story is only as good as your villains. And uh, and these were some pretty bad <laughs> sorts. They were. <laughs> they were. Uh, but I... Um, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, I'm, I'm glad that it's been received as, as well as it has. People seem to be enjoying it. So you guys, if you haven't already gone out and picked up an early copy of Blind Tiger, you need to grab it. I promise you're going to enjoy it. And like Sandra has mentioned, it's going to be a change of pace from her contemporary novels, but at the same time, it mirrors the world we live in today in a way that, um, it will, I think you'll find absolutely thrilling. So well, Sandra, I also think it has, excuse me, I think it also has all of the elements of a Sandra Brown book. I didn't sacrifice, I didn't change my writing style, you know, and, um, and I think it's, it's got all of the elements that readers expect in a Sandra Brown novel. It's just set in a different time period. I think that from being, as I've said, a from a family of devoted Sandra Brown readers, I'd have to second that you're going to find it thrilling, suspenseful, sizzling, romantic, interest, all the things that you would expect somehow fit. I, I read a quote that Sandra Brown deserves her own genre, and you do. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> because it hits all those marks. Um, and I also want to thank you very, very much for taking the time to be on the show. I know you've got a busy schedule with the release and can't thank you enough. Well, thank you, Pamela, for having me. I enjoyed every moment of it. You guys out there, head on out to PamelaFaganHutchins.com. Check out the upcoming shows. Check out the past shows. And be sure and pick up a copy of these great books that I personally recommend. And it won't hurt my feelings at all if you check out a couple of my most recent Patrick Flint releases while you're there. Until next time, this was Pamela Fagan Hutchins, Wine, Women, and Writing. Have a great one, you guys. <laughs>